Namaste. I'm very, very excited for today's episode and for good reason because I feel like it's something I've been wanting to talk about for a long time and something that's very relatable in every single one of our lives, as is most of the things that I talk about. But this one in particular is something I've been wanting to run with for quite a while. And that is today's episode being called Fuck Your Ego. You heard it right, fuck your ego. Now, a lot of you might be thinking, oh, oh no, he's, he's never sworn in any of his episodes. He's kept it cool and calm and soothing. And I have. And it's been on purpose that I have. Because when you hear a swear word in the context like this, it is a shock to the system. It's almost, it almost knocks you back a couple of feet. Because you're like, oh my goodness, you know, is that, is that for me? You know, is that, is that aimed towards me? But no, it's not aimed towards you. It's aimed at your ego. Um, which, in a way, is you. Now, I wanted to explain the whole point of naming the podcast exactly what I've just named it. I'm not going to keep referring to the, the name and, and, and keep swearing in a way that enhances the, the explicit nature of this episode. But um, we need to focus on what our ego is first before we can tell it to fuck off, basically. And a lot of us will be thinking, well, I don't have an ego. I, I don't think I'm better than anyone else. I don't walk around with a level of arrogance. Uh, you know, I don't walk around thinking that people are worthless and only I know what, I've, what I'm doing. I'm not narcissistic or anything to that effect. And what I want to try and relay is that you, you don't have to be any of those things to have an ego. We all have egos. Our ego is when we think about what makes us, us. And what creates that individualism. What makes us the I in the universe. You know, what distinguishes us from everything else. What gives us morality. What gives us thought what gives us intention although those things can exist without the I or without the ego the ego cannot live on its own it has to you basically use every other aspect as a lifeline now what the ego does is it builds this level of confidence that's where confidence comes from you know there's, there's an aspect of it that forms part of the ego and we need to destroy the part of the ego that is wanting control, that is wanting its own attention. Now, it's funny that I say that because yesterday's podcast was specifically about giving yourself attention, which I still stand and I back 100% because giving yourself attention, giving your soul attention, you know, showing up for yourself. I'm talking about your soul. I'm talking about your true nature. I'm not talking about your, the character that you've created, the avatar that you've created for yourself. 
And that's exactly what it is. That is exactly what the ego is. Think about it from this perspective. If I had to ask you a question, that question being, who are you? You think, oh, that's such an easy, such an easy question. But now there's rules to answering this question. You cannot give me your name. You cannot give me your age. You cannot give me your sexuality, your relationship status, your partner, where you're from, your religious or cultural beliefs. You can't give me any of those. So if I say again, who are you? Think about it in deeper thought. Think about it in a way that you've never thought about who you are before. We are so much more than the labels that we give ourselves. Yes, you were born with a name, but you didn't give it to yourself. Your parents gave it to you. You were born at a certain point in time, which gives you an age. You didn't give that to yourself. You may have been born into certain religious beliefs, which you didn't give to yourself. Or, on the contrary, you might have grown up and decided on your own religious beliefs. And therefore it is something that you have decided for yourself, but you haven't created for yourself. Your sexuality, again, that's dependent on your environment. So again, you know, you didn't necessarily create it yourself. Your partner, you found them through the universe, through interactions, through your environment, but you didn't create them yourself. So what, what have you created for yourself in your own life? And who is the you that we're talking about? When you stub your toe against the corner of a couch or a bed or a table, you know that screeching pain that everyone gets. You pull that awful face. Who's hurt? Who's hurting? Deep beneath the layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. Who is that person? Who is that? Who is the you? I'm not even going to say who's that person. Because as I've said before, our bodies are just vessels of transportation for our souls and our minds. Who is the, the, the me, the you, the us that we refer to? We've created these avatars for ourselves. We've created these Sims characters, basically. We've got names, we've got ages, we've got sexual preferences, which we can and maybe can't change along the way. We've got partners, which we either will stick with for the rest of our lives or will change along the way. But throughout it all, the person on the other side of the screen controlling the character remains the same. So my question throughout this entire episode and this this specific conversation is who is the person behind the screen that I'm referring to and I'm not I'm not talking about the 
you know, that deep scientific neurological concept, that existential crisis, if you will, of thinking that we live in a simulation, that nothing that we decide, we decide for ourselves. It's decided by the person on the other side of the screen. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking specifically about when you go through emotions, who is feeling those emotions? Who is the person beneath all of those layers besides just saying me? And that is the ego. The ego creates that. So the ego is a big part of our personality, but the ego can be inflated to levels where it takes over. It regains its own control. And that's when you see people lose the plot. Whether it's celebrities or sports players or even people that you might know, friends of yours, family members. We get so caught up in this, this concept and this ideology of being in control. We get caught up in the rat race. We do things, we make decisions and we make choices often based on how we think other people perceive us. you go out to a bar or a club with a group of friends and you want to show that you've, you've been doing really well at work, you're most likely going to order a bottle of something and the most expensive bottle, maybe the most expensive bottle of champagne. You know that maybe, you know, it's not the, the best idea because you could attribute that money towards something else, something more important. But, you know, you want to show off a little bit. You want to be like, guys, I mean, I've had a good month. Don't worry about it. I want to treat you guys. And that's cool when you do it once and then, you know, you have another good month and then you decide to do it again and maybe, you know, be a little bit more lavish or you decide to buy your girlfriend a fancy car or, you know, all these sorts of things. And, and, and without realizing it, you're, you're inflating your own ego because now all of a sudden people are giving you attention, people are noticing and that's all we want. Humanity create, well, not creates, craves attention. Us as humans, we crave attention, which is so ironic because, you know, now we want to stand out. But when we were ape men, cavemen, or whatever it was, we, we, we tried to be as discreet as possible in a societal you know, surrounding so that we, we, we weren't noticeable to predators and we didn't expose ourselves, you know, to something that could kill us. And here we are, you know, trying to be as verbatious and loud and, you know, grab the most attention as we can because we know it's good for us or we think we know it's good for us. And then it starts inflating our ego. And then what happens is that the people around you obviously are responding to that and, and then are feeling important because they perceive you as important. So their egos start getting inflated. And all of a sudden, they, 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 the true sense of themselves is still behind that screen, but now that screen is completely blacked out because that 
ego is inflated to such a level it's like this giant balloon that's blocking the sun it's like eclipsing the sun and our true self which is sitting behind there is like it's screaming it's yelling it's 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 yearning to be let out and to be to be let free again and often by that point it's extremely difficult to find our way back to ourselves it's not impossible but it's extremely hard and i've had experiences and instances in my own life where i i noticed how things were changing and i was lucky enough to have a, an incredible experience that really opened up my soul and enlightened myself to understanding a lot of these spiritual concepts that I talk about and I'll tell you that story and I attribute it to one individual and in grade 11 I had the opportunity to go to India on a cultural cultural service exchange and I'll tell you before before I went on that you know we went to the the seminars and um saw the powerpoint presentations and saw what they did and at the time you know I mean I went to a a very expensive all boys school I was lucky enough to be there mainly because my father was a teacher there otherwise I can I can promise you that I wasn't going to be able to afford to go there um but I was in a very privileged bubble and nothing else really mattered actually nothing else about South Africa, about Johannesburg, about the rest of the world because I was in this beautiful little bubble. I was protected by everything. I lived my life, I went to parties. I, you know, it was a I want and then you got whatever you asked for. That was the kind of life that unfortunately we were living in, you know, but bearing in mind we went to school um in the richest square mile within Africa. So a lot of the people that went to the same school I'm not going to name drop the school but a lot of the people that went to the same school grew up in a very similar environment and and I've seen how it's affected them you know post school post university life um I think a lot of us have been through the same sort of process that has definitely inflated our egos and school is where the ego thrives the most because you know that's where we all competing you're competing for dominance you're competing for status you're doing whatever you can to be as noticed as possible it's all about how many followers you would have on social platforms how many friends we would have on facebook how many people would greet us when we went out to a party or a get together or whatever it was but anyway i've gone on, on a little bit of a tangent but pulling us back to the point of this beautiful story. I mean that's the type of person that I was beforehand. And we went to this seminar and my mom, you know, looked to me and she said, "How about that? You know, how would you like to go to India?" And I thought, "Nah. I don't know. Why the fuck would I want to go to India?" And she thought, "Well, you know, he has an opportunity." You, you've never been overseas before. We've never been able to send you overseas, and there's an opportunity here that's presenting itself. Why don't you go? 
and I said, well, give me time to think about it. You know, I, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of places I'd much rather go, you know, than to go to India. And I thought about it, and you know, had a, a few chats with some friends, and then I was like, you know what, that's that, that, that sounds pretty cool, actually. Don't think many people will be able to say that they've been to India in their lives. And so I decided, cool, I'm gonna go to India. And I think straight from the get-go, after making that decision, already I'd started learning some valuable lessons in life and changing my mindset. And, you know, it was almost like somebody had started deflating my ego already before I'd even left. Because, you know, in order to afford to go on this trip, I had to, you know, raise my own funds. I had to be the MC of my own fundraisers where, you know, we'd have wine tastings, we would do... Um, round of night golf um, you know and and these sort of things where I would then have to stand in front of a whole bunch of people and basically explain to them why they should buy the wine or donate money so that I could go to India I had to come up with valuable reasons I couldn't just say well I think it's going to be an epic experience you know I get to be away from school for two weeks I had to come up with actual reasonings for people to say cool I'm going to give him my money so that he can go on this experience. And so I went. Went to India. And then the second humbling that I got, and the second aspect of my ego being deflated was upon arrival in a very humid, hot, interesting smelling Cochin National Airport in the south of India. We walk through to the carousel, everyone's grabbing their bags off the carousel. And I'm standing there and all of a sudden the carousel stops. You know, the last bag had been taken off and the carousel stopped. And I, I, I was looking around thinking, well, where in the world is my bag? Everyone else has got their bags, the carousel stopped. The plane's been turned off. There's nothing else happening outside. We were the first plane to arrive there. It was roughly around 10 o'clock in the morning. And I just thought, where, where's my bag? And true as Bob, my bag hadn't arrived. And now we're dealing with an intense situation in a country where, yes, there's English spoken, but in, in the region in the south, n practically nobody in the airport spoke English. So we were running around speaking to this person and that person and trying to explain the situation of what is happening and nothing's going on so that we get a form to fill out and you know to cut a long story short left the airport without a bag we get to our accommodation i wait for a phone call and funny enough there was another individual whose bag didn't arrive and we got a phone call we found your bags cool fantastic it's not even a whole day so they brought it on the second flight when the bags arrive it's just his bag my bag's still MIA still don't know where your bag is so now I'm thinking sure this has been quite a humbling experience as it is you know I'm, I'm still wearing the same clothes that I've been wearing for the last two days now okay because it's it took me so long to get there now we're going into the second day and there's still nothing and you get a hold of the, the the individuals at the airport and no, no, we still don't know where your bags are. And I'm just thinking, I mean, 
out of all people, why did this have to happen to me? And those are always the questions and those are always the moments when you take a step back or you take a, a you know, when you sit back in a chair and you make that oh, noise and you're just like, what am I going to do? Those moments are the most important moments and the most valuable lessons that you will ever have in your life. Because it was in those moments where I thought, this is obviously happening for a reason. It's obviously a lesson for me to learn. Number one, could it be gratitude? Being grateful for the things that I have, the clothes on my back. Number two, my own perseverance. And when I, when I say that, I mean that for the next seven days, so in total about nine days, including the, the flights there, so that's 10 days. 10 days, I had one outfit, I had no clothes, my luggage hadn't arrived, we had gone on a hike through the Western Ghats, which is a mountain range, very, very beautiful mountain range. I enjoyed every single minute of it, probably even more than if I'd had everything. And because I didn't have a bag, I offered to help one of the other teachers with us to carry her bag, and she was eternally grateful for that. And I was still part of the experience, but that perseverance, the fact that I was able to do it for 10 days, and get through it. And people, I mean, the people that were with me, my friends, would ask me, you know, how, how are you so calm? How are you so understanding of the situation? You haven't had your bag for 10 days. On, like, I mean, I would be going crazy. I'd be so frustrated. And I was kind of like, well, one thing I've learned in this experience, and it was one of the most valuable lessons I've taken from any experience in my life, was that when you can't change something, there's no point, absolute no point in stressing over it, in mulling over it, in getting angry and upset about it because it's not going to change your situation. It's only going to make it worse because your agitation is going to inflate your ego even more and your blood is going to boil and you're going to lash out at other people, potentially hurt people with words. Whatever the case is, it's just not worth it. I think another pinprick in my ego was it was the, the second last day of the hike and we've been hiking for probably 30 kilometers I mean, it doesn't sound that long but yeah, it's, it's long when you're in India in that humidity and that heat and we've been hiking and there were two teachers uh, with us and our explorer dude from the UK and the one teacher just I mean she her leg was really, really sore and she just, she said, guys, I can't do this anymore. And we'd all made a promise to each other that we would, we would push and persevere with each other until the end. And so we didn't want her to give up because, you know, we knew that she could make it, but she just said, no, no, it's, I, I can't do this, you know. And so we said, okay, no, that's fine. You know, don't even stress about it. So she got in one of those Jeeps or whatever, and then she got taken to our location, you know, in the Jeep. And I'd say roughly like three, three and a half hours later, we all arrived at our new location. And now bearing in mind, every time we got to a new location, we'd have to set up our own tents, you know, pitch them, put them up, you know, create a bonfire, 
know, start cooking the food, preparing things. You know, it's like proper outdoor survivals kind of stuff. And we get to this new location and the teacher is standing there. Every single one of our tents, there must have been about 10 or 11 tents, was up. All of the, the food had been stored in a, under the gazebo that started being prepped and readied for us so that all we had to do was start cooking. I mean, it was the most humbling, beautiful experience that I'd had at that point in my life. Because here I was, I thought, you know, here's someone who couldn't finish this experience of hiking because of an injury. Anyone could have easily gotten to the location and felt sorry for, for themselves and sat there disappointed that they, they didn't finish, even though they promised that they would. And just, you know, looked for that, that grief and that sorrow when everyone else arrived. But I can promise you, not, not one person looked at that teacher in a, a feeling sorry for them kind of way. Every single one of us looked at them thinking, what a champion. How incredible is this? I think a few of us even shed a tear or two. But it was so, so incredible. So amazing. She swallowed her pride and she said, you know what? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something good for everyone else. Because we, we became a family. We bonded. We became this this family, this this close-knit group of people who a lot of us had only known each other for a couple of days because we'd only met the day before we, we, we got on the plane. And to me, it was just one of the most incredible moments of my life. And by that point, I'd, I'd changed so much already from the person I was before I got on the plane to the individual who stayed in the same set of clothes for 10 days without complaining. I made jokes, sucked it up, and I just did it. And I can promise you now, if that had to happen to me again, I would be able to do it 100%. And I wouldn't even mind, because I know what it did for me in terms of growth and, and, and deflating my ego. And the final, the final point of that trip that, that kick-started this whole process was meeting an individual named Raju. And he was one of the guides in India. So he's from India. And he was one of the guides that was based there that would help us on this hike because obviously, you know, we need to be taking a specific route to know where we're going and to know that we're not going to be killed or, you know, by anything wild or poisonous or whatever it was. And often I would, I would stay at the back of um, the trail, you know, almost like just making sure that everything was cool in front of me. If someone had to fall, I'd be able to run and help them. That kind of thing. And so me and Raju were, were walking at the back and we would have conversations. And he would tell me about his family and he would tell me about his religion and his culture and how it's 
evolved and changed over time and that nothing can ever be set in stone because stone can be washed away over years and years and years of rain and wind and you know and something as simple as that nothing can be set in stone because stone can be washed away is so prolific to me and the funny thing is I mean I remember it from it was nine years ago that I went on this trip sorry eight years ago eight years ago and you know something like that still still is so loud and so clear in my mind And just the beautiful, the beautiful way he viewed life by having very minimal items of possession, nothing very materialistic. I mean, that wasn't anything, you know, he, he wanted. And I tell you my, my experience with that. I mean, it's, I can't even, I can't even describe the emotions and the feelings that I went through at the time. But I do remember wearing, you know, a specific bracelet that someone had given me um, when I was still, still in SA, and I just had this feeling, this urge to give it to him. And on the last day, I gave it to him and I said, "This, you're you're a soul brother of mine, and I've learned that. I've learned that." A soulmate isn't necessarily somebody that you fall in love with and, you know, connect with for the rest of your life. You can have multiple soulmates. And I said, you're a soul friend of mine. And he just looked at me and smiled and he said, I know. I know. And I promise you it was the most amazing, incredible encounter. And he started crying and I started crying. I came back from that trip a completely different person. And I'm so, so grateful for it because it opened my eyes to really who I am, who the I in universe is. And I work on it every single day and I encourage every single one of you that listens to this to work on it every single day. Expose yourself to life, to people, to experiences. Live in that moment. Be present with yourself and deflate your ego. Fuck your ego. Grab your ego and tell it to fuck off. Because when it does fuck off, you're able to experience so much more in so many more dimensions than just the 3D that we see currently. And for today, I know it's a little bit longer, but I just feel that, you know, that story was such a necessary thing to talk about. And I'm so glad that I did. I love telling that story. And I love telling a lot of the stories that I have from India. So maybe in a couple more episodes. But for today, I just want you to keep in mind that, you know, we all have an ego. It doesn't always mean it's a bad thing, but sometimes you've literally just got to say fuck you to your ego and live in the moment and live with your true self namaste everyone and never forget kensho